Hello and welcome to Central's podcast. We pray your heart is touched through listening and that it helps you in your walk with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Kurt. As you've heard these past several weeks, today we're starting uh, to talk about uh, how we can live a life of overflow through the Gospel of John. It's February through November. We're pulling out key kingdom principles of what the Lord wants to say to this church family. Super Church uh, also, Pastor Tony is preaching on the same verses that we preach on and then sometime either today or tomorrow, the parents, you'll get a text so you can engage with your children on what they're learning and have further conversations. If you go to the hub, uh, you'll be able to see a Gospel of John link and it's, it takes you to a page that will provide you with resources, uh, commentary, a study app uh, that can really just help you progress as we go through it. But what we wanna do is look back and we wanna look forward. So we'll start with a looking back. Each and every Sunday, we would love for you to ask two questions. The first one is, what is my main takeaway from this message? Just like when you're looking at the Word, when you hear a sermon or a message from God, you want to contemplate, what has the Holy Spirit said to me? And then you want to ask yourself, how am I going to obey it? We do not want to get puffed up with knowledge. We want what we're learning from the Word to be activated in our lives so we can obey Him, so it transforms our life. Amen? So that's looking back. Looking forward, we are going to send out a Bible and prayer focus each week. Now, I have learned in between service that many people don't know how to use a QR code. So if you want to receive texts every Monday afternoon with the Bible and prayer focus, that is going to be the verses that we're preaching on the following Sunday and a one-sentence prayer that deals with what we are preaching on. What you would do is take out your phone. You point it at the code. Do not take a picture of the code. You point your phone at the code, zoom in a little bit, and then a little link is going to pop up. If you move your phone, the link will float around too. So what you want to do is you click on that link, and it creates a pre-populated text message that says Gospel of John. The number that it comes up to is not our church office number. It's, it's the number that we use through a system that we can text our church family members. So you would click on the link, a text opens up, just hit send. That's it. You don't have to type anything. Hit send. It will send it uh, to our system, and then you'll be added in. We will send a weekly email with just the Bible and prayer focus, but many people are on their phones a lot more than their emails, so it can come in. It'll be a quick um, graphic for you, and you can engage with that. What my heart is is this. I would love for every single person, nobody left out, to read a few times during the week the verses that are going to be preached on. I would encourage you to use something that's on the hub. It's on the, it'll be on the screen too called the Bible Discovery Method. It's four questions that you can ask every time you look at God's word. It gives you a methodical way to start to engage with the Holy Spirit, what you are reading, and then allows the Holy Spirit to teach you about God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach you about how God is interacting with people, teach you how you can obey it. And the best way to learn something, to seal the deal in your life, is to share it with someone else. So that's always the fourth question on the Bible Discovery Method. That's on the hub as well. And then just use that prayer focus. Use that as a starting point to pray, to seek the Lord in what we are going to learn about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would speak uh, through your word. 
loudly, clearly. In these next few moments, I pray, Father, even as we talk about the context in which John is written, I pray that you would open our minds, open our heart, open our eyes to see what he was trying to accomplish when you led him to write this book. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I won't ask for hands, but I will just ask you, if you've ever met or talked to a person that kind of had the prove it to me approach to life, like you literally thought, okay, if I'm going to bring new information to this person, I'm basically going to have to walk through the scientific process with them. Like I'm gonna have to answer 12 different questions because they're gonna hit it at every angle and ask me and so on. Now, sometimes they can come across as untrusting because they're like asking you question after question after question. I personally believe, because I'm one of them, that the Lord has wired us question askers, to want to know how things work, how they're put together, how they're going to function, how things are going to process forward. Now, that could be a really good thing when you're learning if you're going to act on what you're learning. It can also be a hindrance when it comes to faith because faith is something we're believing in before we see it with our own two eyes. However, Jesus does a really good job in our faith of proving himself to us, doesn't he? Right? He has shown up, he has taught the parables, he's interacted with the people, he's performed the miracles, he's already died on the cross, been buried, resurrected, he doesn't need to do any of that again. And we find all this in his word. Now the book of John's overall uh, goal is just this. It's to prove to the readers that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did what these words tell us he did. John wants his readers to walk away with the fact that Jesus is the eternal son of God. And if you just believe in him, you'd have eternal life and that you can live a life as he lived. In fact, 20 chapters later from where we're going to start today, John has one sentence, which we turned into verse 31 when we broke the Bible up that way. And it says this, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. Follow this out. When he says the word Messiah, he's writing to the Jewish people. When he says the Son of God, he's speaking to the Greek people or the Gentiles. He's proving to both of them that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the book of John in one sentence. Right here is the purpose. And we'll take the next 10 months to figure this thing out together, but that is the book of John in one sentence. In fact, in one translation, the word believe shows up 98 times in the book of John alone. He wants to prove to us that Jesus is who he said he was. Here goes a brief overview of John. John, the book of John was written by the apostle John. That's different than John the Baptist. It can be confusing to you if you're newer to the word because as soon as you open up John, within like three sentences, he says, now there was a man named John. He's like, why is he writing in third person? John the apostle is writing about John the Baptist. He saw him, he was exposed to his ministry, walked with him, so he knows that John the Baptist represents Jesus well in several conversations. John was an apostle with his brother James. They were brothers, and Jesus gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder. I love that Jesus gives people nicknames, right? We, we picture him all stern and serious. He's like, you two are wild. You're the Sons of Thunder, right? 
And if you follow their story out, like they need settled down a few times throughout Jesus' ministry, but Jesus just lets them go, lets them thrive in who they were. So anyway, these two guys are part of his inner crowd called the apostles, though he was one of his main disciples as well. So their parents were Zebedee. He was a successful fisherman. Salome was his wife. If you follow uh, out, she shows up in different times. So she followed Jesus' ministry and helped support the ministry. So picture this. The sons of thunder, the wild ones, actually had their mommy with them the whole time, (laughs) traveling with them. It's pretty crazy, but she was with them. So John is one of Jesus's closer. So you have these, you have like the 70 and the thousands and you have the 12 apostles. Well, John was actually one of his closest ones. So much so that he wrote that John was the one to whom Jesus loved. You better be really sure that you are loved by the one if you're writing that in a book where uh, a lot of people are gonna read it in the future. But it's true because Jesus brought Uh, John in with his brother James and Peter to some of the most intimate miracles that Jesus uh, uh, had in some of these moments like the transfiguration and so on, where it would say Jesus with Peter, James, and John. So the other nine are still important, but John had this experience with Jesus that very few other apostles had. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John are the four books that we call the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written very differently than the book of John. In fact, if you've read them all like simultaneously, you're like, this book sticks out a lot. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they write about Jesus's life like from a timeline, beginning to end. John picks specific miracles, specific events, and conversations to try to prove his point to his audience. So if you look at John, there's no genealogy, no account uh, of his birth, no temptation, no wilderness, no transfiguration, no appointing of the disciples, no parables, no account of his ascension, and no great commission. Does that mean these things aren't important to John? Absolutely not. They are absolutely important to him. He had a different purpose. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they present Jesus in his interaction with humanity. They use words like son of David, Son of man, servant of all. John is trying to prove a point that Jesus is the exalted one. So he uses words like the word, creator, son of God, lamb of God, Messiah, master, Lord, I am. John has a very specific purpose and reason for doing this. In fact, throughout his writings, you are going to see seven I am statements that Jesus makes. I'm not going to go through them today for the sake of time, but But John's like, listen, Jesus is the real deal. He is the exalted God. He is the creator. He is the great I am. He's trying to prove his point to the people who would be reading it. So we'll see these statements throughout the book as we go through it. Now, I had about seven different resources that I was researching through, and every single one of them said something different. So if you're looking at commentaries and you're looking at different details about John, uh, there's some debate out there, but if you start to combine and see where's a lot of the overlap, we can come to about a conclusion close to this. Is John most likely wrote his book between 80 and 100 AD. So if he was in his 20s when he was following Jesus, he's like in his 80s. You're like, why in the world did you wait so long to write your book? Well, back then, they wanted to make sure they were telling the most precise and accurate message of Jesus. So this gave John several decades to preach 
to teach and to retell these stories over and over again. He was able to glean from Matthew, Mark, and Luke because those books were written before his was written. And eventually he was like, okay, I now know my audience is receiving the way I'm telling this story. So he would have went to a scribe. The scribe would have written down what John uh, told him about. It probably went through a little bit of an editing process until it went into mass production. You guys hanging with me? You good? Some theologians say, John wrote specifically to Jewish believers. Others say, specifically Greek believers. Some say new believers. Some say established believers. I say everyone. Everyone. And you can tell based on how he wrote the book. He doesn't start off with by saying Jesus is the Messiah, a term only the Jews would know. And he doesn't start off by saying something only the Greeks would know, is the language he uses includes everyone in this. In fact, if we understand when John wrote it, by that time, there were more Greek believers than there were Jewish believers. In fact, the Jewish people were scattered throughout all of the regions, and many Greeks had come to know the Lord. So if we, if we understand this now, that there's a ratio of uh, more Greeks to Jewish believers, we would also say, hey, John was writing to both of them. This is a very important thing to understand. John was written 80 to 100 AD. Something significant happened in 70 AD. What happened is, is the Romans came in and they destroyed Jerusalem where all of the Jewish believers were pretty much uh, settled. Now, they, they did scatter uh, because of persecution and so on, but not as much as this moment. When this happened, the temple is destroyed, the city is destroyed, and the Jewish people have to leave. It's kind of like writing a Christian book about how to gather as a church pre-COVID and how to gather as a church post-COVID. Follow this out. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written before the fall of Jerusalem a very different culture and time of the world versus when John is writing it after the fall. See, what happened is, is when the fall of Jerusalem uh, occurred, all of the activities of the temple had to stop. So there's no more priestly duties. There's no more sacrifices, no more incense, lighting of candles, showbread. All the activity that happened in the temple had stopped. In fact, most of the priests were killed in that invasion. Stay with me. There's a lot of information. But the, the priestly lineage, the record of who the priests were, were burned when the temple went down. So now there's no more priesthood. There's Pharisees, and they're angry at Christians, and now they're scattered, and now they're calling Christians that they belong to a cult and stay away, and this is a false religion, and these Pharisees, are saying you're not allowed in our synagogues anymore because before then they were still participating. And there's this battle going on so much so that some of the later Jewish writings would say that the Pharisees actually wrote into their daily prayers a curse against Jewish believers. This is who John's writing to. And John's writing to Greeks that are along with the Jews saying, what is up with these Pharisees? And now they're all being persecuted in a very different world than how it was in 70 AD. Why is John so different? This is why John is different. Totally different world than Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote to. A portion of our mission statement is to 
produce a unified family of believers. And one way we want to uh, stay unified is by highlighting different church family members. So over these next 42-ish weeks, we're going to have a different family member read the scriptures in context. And then whoever's preaching that day will pick out what the Lord has told them to say out of that context. But we want you to read it on your own. And then we want you to hear it read in its full context and then it'll be preached on. So let's take a look at this week's first reader, John 1, 1 through 18. Hi, I'm Leslie McCarthy, reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For as the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. All right, let's get into it. First verse of John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There's a ton in that one verse. Jesus showing up, John titles him as the word, but he's not just saying it's the word. This word was actually with God. This word was actually God. And now he says, he was with God in the beginning. Last week, we talked about the lowercase w word, the spoken word by the prophets of old, by the apostles, the teachers, which eventually became what we call the written word of our Bible. Here we see a capital W now referring to Jesus himself. I love how John starts this in the beginning. He's taking people all the way back to the account of creation. He's saying, No matter where you are, no matter what you think or what you believe, let's just wipe this all clean and let's start back at the beginning. He's trying to prove to both the Jews and the Gentiles that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. 
And it refers to him as the word. Now, I want you to see why. We understand the word meaning, or actually, let, let, let me back up just for a moment. When we hear this word, word of God, word was God, and now we're referring to Jesus. And he's saying he was there at creation. I want you to see how the Trinity was there at creation. We know God the Father was there, right? I mean, Scripture tells us clearly throughout the book of Genesis early on about creation. And we know that the breath of God, when God breathes life into Adam, that Ruhah is the spirit of God. So God's very breath, we have God the Father there present. Then we have God breathing, which is actually the spirit coming forth. And now as God speaks words with his breath, let there be light. Scripture's telling us that is the presence of Jesus himself coming to create all of creation. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit way back there at the beginning. It's hard for us to conceptualize Jesus before he had flesh on. But he's been here since before the beginning. John doesn't start with Messiah. He starts with something that both Jews and Gentiles would both understand. On the Jewish side, is the, that word, when they're talking about that capital W word, they believed that words had power. How many of you know we could benefit from believing more of that? That words brought life and words brought death. That when a word was spoken, it had the full backing of God himself. In fact, in the Jewish language back then, there were less than 10,000 words in their language. Meanwhile, the Greeks had over 200,000 in their language. So the Jewish people held closely to their words. And now John is saying, this word was with God and this word is God. Now, these Jewish people who might not even be believers and they're looking at this, they have, to, they have to rack their brains and say, if I believe the power of these words, John's talking about somebody very important. Now, that Greek word for the word word is logos. The Greeks understood this, not just as a word, but it also meant for them the reason for being. Now, there was a secular philosopher that taught a lot about this word logos, and they believed that this higher power, this logos, actually kept all of the universe in order. And now John's making this connection with the logos, with Elohim, logos, with God himself, saying these two are actually equal. And in the first sentence John writes, it starts to connect with the Jewish people and the Gentile people. And he's proving to him, this word is God himself. And then he goes on and talks about Jesus as being light in verse four and five and then into verse nine. It says, in him was life. Talking about eternal life. And that life was the light of all mankind. This light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse nine, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This word light's found six times alone just in these few verses. And this is not talking about the beam of light itself. It's talking about the source of light. So John's saying, listen, this is not some little beam of light coming out of a flashlight. This is the flame himself, the sun himself, emanating and illuminating a dark and dying world. And John makes it clear here that the darkness cannot overcome this light. Now, they had candles back then, and they understood how light uh, came into darkness. But I think it's more powerful now that we have electricity. 
For instance, if we walked into this room and it was pitch black and we start turning the lights on, the darkness doesn't have a chance to fight back against the light. You guys understand that? Like just in science alone, the darkness can't be like, I don't want this light here, I'm pushing back. And you're turning lights on and the lights aren't working and darkness is hovering over. Absolutely not. When light shows up, darkness must flee. And that's what John's telling them. The light has come into this world and darkness has not overcome it. In fact, the only way that darkness comes back to a room that's lit is if the light leaves. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then Jesus pulls one of those Jehovah sneakies on us and says, hey, you're the light of the world. It irritates me. So we'll talk to our kids about things that are going on in the world, things we disagree with and agree with, and even political things and just what's happening. But it's never to complain and it's never to stumble. This world's so dark. Listen, turn the light up. Turn the light up. What in the world? We're the last people who should be complaining about the world being dark. The light has come. Darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has left and given us his spirit and said, you're the light. What in the world? We are some of the biggest complainers. And he's told us we're the light. John's making it very clear here. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. His name is Word of God. John 1, 12 through 13 says, everybody, every single person doesn't leave anyone out. Everyone who receives him to those who believed in his name. I like when he says that he doesn't even tell us his name yet. Like John's not even like, hey, this guy's name is Jesus, right? He refers to him as the word and now he's the light. He says to those who believed in his name, he gave us the right to become the children of God. This is not just the original readers, folks. To anybody who's willing to receive him, how do you receive this light, this word? You have to set aside all of your other junk. You have to allow the light to come and expose all the darkness. Yeah, all the junk of your life. And when that comes and that light exposes things and that light shows how powerful it is against your darkness, what you're doing is you're receiving Jesus into your heart. And you receive him by believing that Jesus is who he said he was. I think John has done a stellar job, and which we'll find out is presenting Jesus as the Lord of all. This is so awesome. We receive him into our heart by believing in his name. And that believing does not just give us knowledge. That believing touches our heart, like the depths of our soul. So much so that it changes our attitudes, it changes our perspective, changes our behaviors, and our lifestyle, so we live righteously, right? And as we're doing these things, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus. But this God, this creator, has given us the right to become children of God. Like how can, how, I, I, I think everybody doubts it. Most people doubt it once in a while. Does God really love me? Like John simplifies this thing. Receive him, believe in his name, and you get to be a child of God. That's a pretty big privilege, guys. He doesn't qualify it at all. He doesn't clean yourself up. Get up already. Toughen up. Figure your life out. That's not at all. The word came. The word's been here. The word came. Light came. Darkness doesn't have a chance. 
You receive, you believe, you get to become a child of God. I'll take it. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, which was one, at one time not flesh, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Why is this so important? What happened in 70 AD? Temple was destroyed, okay? What happened in the temple? Listen to this. One person, one time a year, the high priest gets to go into this inner chamber called the Holy of Holies. And there's an Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, the seed of mercy. And right there, this one high priest would encounter the, and experience the very presence of God. Temple, destroyed. Ark of the Covenant, destroyed. Gone. No more high priest, dead. No more Holy of Holies, gone. And now the Jewish people, before they follow Jesus, they don't have access to God. And now John is saying this. This word was made flesh, and he came to dwell among you. So what John is saying is this. Our God is not a distant God. Our God is not at arm's length. Our God is not pushing us away. Our God isn't hiding in heaven where you have to prove yourself that God became flesh. He stepped into a skeleton, put on flesh, and lived with us. This is your God. This is our creator. This is amazing to think. I don't have to wait for one other person to go into a room to access God. We had access to God himself in the flesh. And his name was Jesus. Isn't that awesome that his presence is still here through the Holy Spirit? So we see God in the flesh, dwelling, living, breathing, exposing himself, to all the temptation, everything else that humanity could ever face. Yet he was God, fully man, fully human, and yet still fully God. In verse 14, it says this, we have seen his glory, talking about Jesus' glory, the glory of the one and only son. Now watch what John's doing. He's the word, he's the light, and now he's introducing, I mean, this is like a couple sentences in. John don't mess around. He's like, no genealogies, no birth story. We're going after this thing. And now he's presenting him. He's saying, listen, we've actually seen this one's glory he is also not just the word, not just light, but he's also a son of a father. And now he's presenting this God who lives in his abode up in the third heaven as one that is relational with the son. He says, who came from the father is full of grace and truth. So listen, if, I could, if you could take anything else away from this, this is the bottom line, that Jesus is the eternal son of God who fully reveals the glory of God. Jesus did not come to earth 98% God. He didn't. He was fully God. So whenever somebody was exposed to Jesus, it was as if God himself was standing right there. This is kind of cool because it says in the Old Testament if Moses would see God face to face, he would die. On the spot, can't handle it. I need you to understand this. Scripture's very clear. If God himself showed up, we would die. We can't see face to face. And God's like, how are we gonna figure this thing out? I'm gonna put skin on. I'm gonna step into a skeleton, put some skin on, and I'm gonna go and expose myself to all of humanity. 
And now people can peer into the eyes of Jesus and they see God, the full glory of God himself. So check this out. Way back in the garden, man is created in the image of God, okay? We sin and scripture actually tells us we lose that image. Thousands of years later, God sends the solution and Jesus is referred to in scripture as the visible image of an invisible God. We lost his image in our lives at sin. Jesus shows up as the visible image of the invisible God. And now when we believe in Jesus, guess what we get back? The image of God. This is what Jesus allows us to do, is step back into our rightful place of having the image of God in our lives as being part of the kingdom of God. And John saw his glory and John wrote about it. And now we get to believe that this is true. We get to believe the accounts of Jesus actually happened and experience the glory himself. I want to skip down to verse 18 to finish this up here. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who himself, who is himself God. This is, I mean, it's just astounding to me. No one has ever seen God except the one and only son. But hey, remember, he himself is God. He's saying he is, he is deity. He is divine. One God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John teaches extensively on the Holy Spirit later on as well. He says, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now every Greek and every Jew would be able to understand this. No one has ever seen God. We would know this. And now if they begin to, including us, if we begin to step into belief that this one named Jesus has seen God and is God and is in closest relationship with the Father, and that there's not 98, 96, not 99.9%. This, he is fully God. So now the more we understand, not just with our head, but with our heart, the more we receive and understand the fullness of who Jesus is, we get to experience the glory of the Father. So let's not mystify this. Pentecostal churches have an easy, like we, we, we sometimes, we, we get too mystical. Would your glory fall? Would your glory come? We're, we're thinking of like this smoke billowing through the room. How about this? Get face to face with Jesus. Get to know Jesus personally. Create a history with Jesus. Don't wait for somebody else to teach you about Jesus. Don't wait for Sunday morning for me to tell you about Jesus. You get in the book of John, you reintroduce yourself to Jesus and get to know Jesus better and better and better and better and better. And you ask questions, what are you revealing to me? What are you teaching me? How can I obey you? And you'll, sit, you'll be sitting on your bed or in your couch all by yourself. No Adam, no Kurt, nobody else. You'll say, I've seen the glory of God. I've seen it, I'm experiencing it. I'm living in the glory. Right, you'll sound, sound like one of those prophets of living in the glory zone. People are like, you're weird. No, 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 this is a tight relationship with Jesus himself. That's the glory zone. I want to experience more of his glory. I know I'm headed to heaven. I know I believe in Jesus, but I wanna believe more in him. I want to truly believe everything that this word says can and will happen in our lifetime. 
that we'll see the miracles, we'll see the salvations, we'll see him move. But first and foremost, I want to receive. I want us to receive. Why don't you stand, please? I just want to pray for us. I'll tell you this. I, I want to just spend a moment in prayer. I will say this much. If we're talking about getting to know Jesus, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, in that one verse that we read, to all who receive him and believe in his name, you get to be counted as a child, the child of God. I will wait down here and we'll have some other altar workers down here at the end of service. If you, like, you literally know, I have no clue about this glory thing. I don't even know if I'm following Jesus. And you want to be sure. We will be down here. I'm not even going to ask for hands in this moment. I want you to walk down here right as we're breaking from service and say, I want to know Jesus as my Lord. Like, I just want to know him. I want to be in a relationship with him. And we'll just help you. We'll just pray with you. We'll help you take your first steps. It's not really about raising your hand. And it's not about saying, I believed in Jesus 30 years ago. It's right now. You want to see his glory now? Get to know him better now, in this moment. In this moment. Now, if you don't mind, if you're willing just to put your hands out in front of you, and it is just a posture of receiving. So Heavenly Father, as we pray in this moment, people in this room, online, or who will be watching later this week, we're asking you, Father, that you would reveal your Son to us in the greater way, in the fullest of ways. Father, I pray in this week coming up and in the weeks and months to come that we would see Jesus like we've never seen him before. God, that you would highlight verses and aspects and you teach us things about what John was experiencing with Jesus. And we would feel and we would know that we are closer to him than ever before. Will you refresh that? I pray, I pray for people even right now in this room that are bored with Jesus. I feel like their relationship is going nowhere and they're bored with you. Father, would you reveal the true Jesus, the one who's exciting, the one who has a specific nickname for their for, for that individual, Lord. God, just make it fresh to us, a fresh experience, a fresh conversation, a fresh encounter, whatever it looks like. We want to experience the very glory of God, and we know that that happens through the person of Jesus. So teach us who you are. We open our hearts to who you are. We step off our platforms and we're not, we are not experts in your word. Let us come poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let us come to you hungry and desperate to say, God, I know I've read this verse a thousand times, but what do you want to say to me today to make our relationship fresh today? We ask for more of your glory. We are aware that your presence is in us, but we don't know it all and we haven't experienced it all. So we ask for more of your glory today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and go visit centralconnect.org for more information and media.